Um, do have a seat. We are continuing our series this morning about running the race, and it's my delight and pleasure to introduce Michael Ivey to you. Now, uh, I joked with him. I'll come the other side so I'm not standing in front of the projector. I joked with him earlier that I thought it was really cruel that I had been rooted on to meet, lead the meeting this week. Probably the shortest elder in the church. And, uh, and we're being preached to by probably the tallest pastor, certainly, in OCC. Um, Michael is an assistant pastor at Abingdon, has been for the last six months or so. He may well tell us a little bit about um, that journey as part of his uh, sermon, but I'm just going to pray with him, pray with you if that's right. I was going to stand on a chair, but <laughs> that's probably, probably not appropriate. I'll just reach up. There we go. Um, yeah, Lord, we just want to thank you for Michael and for Kate and for what they're doing in Abingdon. And uh, um, I just want to pray a blessing on the Abingdon Church as well, and I pray that you will bless them through um, this amazing couple and the work that they're doing in Abingdon. And for this morning, Lord, I just want to pray that um, you will give him your wisdom and that through your Holy Spirit, you will soften our hearts to hear the message that he is delivering this morning. We just want to pray that we will be engaged with it, uh, open to hear it, and excited by what you have to say to us through him. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, well, hello. <laughs> yes, that is on. Well, good morning. That's so encouraging. It's, it's nice to know that wherever I go to in South Oxfordshire, people do respond with good morning when you say good morning. Anyways, it is a pleasure and such a joy uh, to be here. Uh, yeah, thank you for having, having us. It's, uh, I'm here with my wife, Kate. Kate, can you give us a, a wave? Yeah, she, she doesn't like attention. And so whenever I do that, she doesn't really appreciate that. I also brought my friend Stu. Stu, give us a wave, dude. Is that right? Stu's from ACC uh, as well. And again, I am the assistant pastor at Abingdon Community Church. And it's such a joy to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much for having us. It is my heart this morning that you grow closer to the heart of God out of this for you this morning. And that is my heart. And there is something absolutely wonderful for me about going to a different church than your own and still worshiping Jesus. There's something absolutely beautiful about that. Uh, The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, today we are continuing your sermon series, which is on running the race set before you. And that lovely passage out of Hebrews 12, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses, and what the author of Hebrews is reflecting on out of that lovely chapter in Hebrews 11, which I guess could be called the Hall of Faith if you will. And it's in light of all those people that have demonstrated faith, then they start this verse with, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes 
on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And today we are particularly looking at witness, right? And witnessing to those around us. And just so we are clear in our definition of terms, so that we are all singing from the same hymn sheet, what does it mean or what can witness be defined as? Witnessing or witness is defined as someone who tells others of the person of Jesus Christ who was crucified and died a sinner's death for our sins, which separated us from right relationship with God. And on the third day, Jesus was raised back to life and is now seated at the right hand of God on high. It is by his blood that we are healed and we are, and it is by his blood that we are in right relationship with God. Witnessing is telling others about this Jesus right? And that all who look and put their trust in him and seek to honor him in all that they do will never be put to shame, ever. That is witnessing and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And what I want to look at today is what does that mean here in Didcot and in South Oxfordshire? And when I was praying for the sermon a few weeks ago, I felt God place a particular passage in my mind. And as I was going through it yesterday uh, and praying through it, it just, it just didn't flow. It's probably the best way I can describe it. Something wasn't right. And through prayer, I felt God give me something completely different. So there I am in the afternoon preparing this sermon at roughly two in the afternoon, thinking, my goodness, what's going on here? Um, But that's all right, because I think God wants to really get something across to you this morning. That is quite significant for you. So if you have your Bibles or your e-Bibles, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And again, that is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Uh, And follow along as I read the passage, and I'll be reading out of the NIV this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Incredible passage there. Absolutely incredible. What a wonderful moment for the disciples to witness that and to see that. With that being said, there are three points that I want to stress to you this morning, right? And number one, witnessing comes from an encounter. Witnessing comes from an encounter. Number two, witnessing comes with an endorsement. And number three, witnessing comes with empowerment by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my first point is that witnessing comes with encounter. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And when you look halfway through verse four, Luke writes, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. Did you know that dead people cannot eat food? Sounds very elementary, that. But dead people cannot eat food. Very simple. Dead people can't go on and on about how they are alive. Or go about proving in many ways about how they are alive. Dead people can't speak as I am speaking to you right now. And dead men certainly cannot eat food. According to Google, which is the authoritative word of this generation, in case you haven't quite figured that out yet, when within biology, there are what they call characteristics of life, right? Characteristics of life. Now, various people will suggest that there are eight or seven or five characteristics of life, right, or characteristics that reveal life is taking place. And almost all of the scientific journals that I looked online through Google uh, reveal that metabolism is a key characteristic and a key component for life. What's that mean? Well, it means that living things with a metabolism can take in a form of energy basically, Uh, and that is either through sunlight or through food. Why? So that they can use that food for energy, for growth and other things. So with Jesus eating here, it screams, I am alive to his disciples. It's a statement that says, give me some food, I am 
alive. Death could not hold me. And, I'm, and I was reminded of John chapter 11 where Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to visit Lazarus and, and we see the shortest verse in the Bible where it says Jesus wept, which showed his compassion for his friend Lazarus. And Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead in chapter 11. And then immediately in chapter 12, it says, Scripture says that there they are reclining around the table, at, almost at a banquet, waiting to eat food. There they are, reclining at a table, (laughs) about to have dinner. And it's almost like what happened a few days earlier didn't really happen at all. You know? It's, there's something incredibly profound about that. And it's like that here with Jesus. He's displaying to those around him a key characteristic for life. Why is that important? Because Jesus is insisting on showing his disciples that he is alive with multiple proofs. And he's doing that because he has a special mission for his disciples, who would later be called apostles. And Luke, who is the author of Acts, is wanting to show the readers that Jesus is indeed alive. And I want to tell you today that he's as alive today as he was then. He's as real today as he was then, 2,000 years ago. And if you haven't given your heart to God, you can If you don't know this God, you can today. That can be changed like that. You can meet God now. And he will change your life. Knowing God will change your life. Witnessing as in telling others about Jesus, comes from an encounter with the living God, knowing that you are loved beyond measure. And it's God's love that changes everything. Everything. It was so key for Jesus to reveal to his disciples that he was alive because he had a special mission for them. And the mission was to share a message. But to share a message effectively requires conviction or belief that you are indeed believing what it is you're actually saying. Actually. Uh, so you guys may not know this. I'm not from this country. <laughs> I moved across seven years ago and uh, I moved to Middlesbrough, up the borough. Praise God. Industry, steel, praise the Lord. And when I moved across at 25 years old, I moved in with an 80-year-old widower. What a mix, you know. But I must say, he was one of the most eccentric people I've ever met in my life. Love dubstep, as you do at 80 years old. And we would constantly joke with each other and we would make jokes with each other and try to wind each other up, really, as you do. Um, 
Well, there would be times where I would say things to him jokingly. And he would look me dead in my eyes and he would say, you are speaking rubbish. And he was dead on. Because I was. I was just trying to get a rise out of him. He was an amazing man with an amazing testimony, an amazing heart for the Lord and for people. He could see right through me whenever I was speaking rubbish, as he would say. When you talk to others about Jesus, do you really believe what it is that you are saying? Because if not, people see right through that. They do. Do you really believe when you tell people he can change your life? Do you believe that he can? Because he can. Witnessing comes from encounter. It is a first key starter in telling others of Jesus Christ. For us to be effective in our witnessing, we must first be meeting with God in the quiet place. Time alone with him. Spending time with him, getting in his presence and letting him nurture and saturate our hearts with his love and with his presence, allowing the Bible to speak to us. And when we're praying, not just saying what we need, but stopping and listening to what God has to say to us. Because God is always speaking to us. It's just a matter if we're listening or not. Witness comes from encounter, and we need to be meeting with God daily, just so we know his heart. My second point is that witnessing comes with an endorsement, right? And so here's Jesus who endorses his disciples. How? How does he do that? He does so by gathering those that he chose to him, right? And and here again in verses 1 to 2, it says, um, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Jesus had chosen and endorsed his disciples. And likewise, Jesus has chosen you and endorsed you. How? Ephesians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You were chosen before the creation of the world. And as a human, it's hard in our understanding and linear thinking to understand that God is removed from time. And from the laws of natural whatever, because I, I'm at a loss for words of what it is, but smart people know. But he's beyond our imagination and what are realms of physics and nature. But what does it mean to be endorsed by someone or something? And when I think of endorsements, I tend to think of professional athletes who are endorsed by various companies to represent said companies. Right, And how does Jesus go about endorsing his disciples? Jesus endorses his followers by revealing himself to them through encounter. As in who he is and what he's like. And he also endorses his people by placing himself 
in them. By placing himself in him. That is the seal of approval. God endorses you by giving you himself. His very presence. And it's nothing that you have earned, but it is something that has been freely given to you. And it's worth so much more than what you could ever imagine. Typically, endorsement deals are deals where people or companies pay you to represent them. And I want to be absolutely clear here. Jesus has paid every spiritual debt that you and I could ever have by his death and paying that debt in full. And equally, by his resurrection, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in and through Christ by giving us the promised Holy Spirit in us which is a down payment of our salvation. It's like before you knew Jesus, you were as poor as poor could be. And then the moment you say, yes, I want Jesus, you go from as poor as poor could be to be as wealthy as wealthy could be. Like that. When you give your life to God, God immediately places himself in you. That seal of the Holy Spirit, it's a down payment for our salvation that says we are now his and he is now ours. Ephesians 1, continuing the Ephesians theme in 13 and 14, says when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the reception of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So out of an encounter, you give your heart to God and say, yes, Lord, I want you and you alone. There is nothing greater and sweeter than you. And when you say yes to God, he immediately endorses you by putting himself inside of you in your hearts. Right? And in ancient times, when someone would send a letter to another, they would fold up a letter in a tiny manner, pour a little bit of hot wax on the back of the paper, and stamp it with their signet ring to seal the letter. Right? Uh, why? Because the seal with the imprint on it signified who it was from. It signified ownership. It signified identity. And it carried the authority of the writer along with a personal, personalized message in it to the reader. It carried that authority. And it's kind of like when you, not that this has ever happened to me, but it's kind of like you receive a letter from the President of the United States or the Queen. That might be through Twitter now but that's neither here nor, nor there. But it says, from the desk of the President of the United States of America, or I might say HRH, Queen Elizabeth II, for example, the seal adds weight, merit, and authority to the letter. And it's the same with you. When God places his seal in you, the Holy Spirit, it adds identity. It adds weight. It adds merit. 
and authority. Authority of the person that you represent. Witnessing comes with an endorsement. Jesus gave up his life so that you and I may have life. That is life now by and through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and life to come when we shall one day see God face to face. And what a day that will truly be. Witnessing comes with an endorsement that you are his, he is ours, and that endorsement of the Holy Spirit provides identity and authority to confidently go into any situation and declare the praises of God to whatever situation you find yourself in. My final point is this. Witnessing is fueled by empowerment. And here's Acts 1, 6 to 8 again. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When reading the Gospels and particularly this part of Acts, I always read it and think, will these guys ever get it? I don't know if you're like that, but I'm like that, where I think, will these disciples ever actually understand what is happening? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. And here's Jesus eating in front of them. And remember, some few days prior, he's dead, literally dead, D-E-A-D, dead, gone, right? He's, he is gone. And here he is eating food in front of them. And they are more worried about a militant Messiah bringing back a kingdom of Israel rather than understanding the suffering servant who serves and draws people to himself and gave up his life for others. And then all of a sudden we read in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls in power and Peter starts proclaiming the kingdom of God to thousands of people. And thousands of people get saved in one day, in one day. What I'm trying to say is, is that the Holy Spirit took bumbling and stumbling disciples and turned them into giants in the faith. Giants in the faith. Giants who proclaimed the kingdom of God boldly and saw the presence of God manifest powerfully. If the Holy Spirit can do that with uneducated men, what can the Holy Spirit do with you here in Didcot? Here in South Oxfordshire? Witnessing is fueled by empowerment. Otherwise, we are operating out of our own strength, and let me tell you, that'll get us nowhere. Even in the opening statement of the book of Acts, Luke writes that in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the word that Luke uses there is began. Luke was a doctor and would be most careful with the words that he wrote down. He would have been very meticulous about the information for people to read. And he was the type of person who wanted to know all of the facts before commemorating them or writing them down. All that Jesus began to do implies there 
He's still at work. He's still doing stuff on earth as he was 2,000 years ago. And the great thing particularly about witnessing and telling others of Jesus is that we are not alone in it at all. Uh, We're not. I know it's big and scary, which it is, but I can promise you that when we step out in faith and dependence upon God, he never fails to show up. When we say yes to Jesus and and he places his promised Holy Spirit inside us, the Holy Spirit inside of us doesn't just do nothing. It does something. He does something. Not only does the Holy Spirit help us in our day-to-day living, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our proclamation and communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can remember when I was 10 years old in Texas, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And so gifts of the Spirit were nowhere near our theology in those days. And my mom, she would take my brother and I to church and mom would go to adult church or big boy church. And mom would drop my brother and I off in uh, Sunday school or go to kitty church at Sunday school. And I can remember being in fifth grade, so 10 years old. And we had just gone through a series about looking at the Trinity, right? And my Sunday school teacher that day was teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And I can remember asking, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? And she looked at me, dead serious, and she goes, I don't know. And I remember thinking at 10 years old, well, that's helpful. Thanks for that. It would be 15 years later that I would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I would come to understand just what the Holy Spirit does in our day-to-day living, not only in our day-to-day living, but in exalting God and proclaiming Him. The Holy Spirit in us is one that is of power and presence. The Holy Spirit is power and presence in our lives. As Bill Johnson would say, the Holy Spirit in you is one that wants out. He wants to get out. It's not just there for our own comfort, which there's a part to play for that, but he wants out because he wants to declare the kingdom of God to those around us. A couple years ago, I was working for a small church in Gateshead. If you're unfamiliar with the Northeast area, Gateshead is just south of Newcastle, and it's separated by the River Tyne. And we were doing that that time, that particular week, a week of evangelism, right? Um, But what it looked like was our church partnered with uh, Newcastle and Gateshead county councils, city councils, and basically said, bring us your most deprived people, and we want them to come and do some giving back to the community, and we will give them a qualification to help boost their CV. Um, so there's the element of training, but really the heart behind it is evangelism. And so I'm on this course with these guys, with multiple people from the Northeast, from really, really, really dark situations in their life. And finally, Wednesday rolls around, and they finally caught on that I'm not from this country. (laughs) And one guy asks me, well, well, how, how did you come to be here? 
And I thought, here's my chance. So I looked them square in the eye and I said, believe this or not, it's up to you, but what I tell you is no lie. I said, God told me to come here. God told me to move to the northeast of England. And he looked at me all funny like, "Mm, you're talking rubbish. Um, And we left it there. Well, that night he goes home and uh, this guy at that time, he was 19 or 20, living with his girlfriend and they were living at his grandma's house. And he was watching Family Guy that night, as you do. Um, and, he's, and he turns on Family Guy at five o'clock in the afternoon or evening. And in this particular episode of Family Guy, a daughter just so happens to give her life to Jesus. And she's talking about in this particular episode how God talks to her. And knowing that and communicating that to, I guess, her family within the cartoon. Well, the guy that I said that God spoke to me about it earlier was like, something creepy is going on here. What is going on? Well, the next day he comes back and he tells me, he goes, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. And he tells me that story about watching Family Guy. And he also tells me that night, he, he looks over to his girlfriend. He says, a guy earlier in the day told me about how God talks to him. And then all of a sudden I'm watching Family Guy and, the, and this girl talking about how God talks to her. And she goes, you're speaking rubbish. Go walk it off. You, go sort yourself out, right? Funny enough, what you don't know and what I didn't know at that time, there were well over 300 episodes of Family Guy made for TV. And on that particular day, at that particular time, at that particular instance where I just so happened to say, God talks to me, that particular episode is aired. Only one out of a possible of 300. Coincidence? I think not. God incidents? Yes, absolutely. Well, Thursday comes around and he's on cloud nine. And uh, he comes in and as he says, after we get done painting, can we go to the pub? Yeah, let's do that. So we go to the pub. Afterwards, we finish painting. And um, he's asking all these questions about faith. And I'm, I'm telling him all that, who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And testimony after testimony after testimony of God's goodness. And all of a sudden, he calls his girlfriend because he needs more beer money. And... It turns out she's coming. And as soon as she gets there, she has beer money for him. And he goes, tell her one of your stories. Tell her one of your stories. And I look at her. As soon as I look at her, she looks at him and she rolls her eyes. And, And he goes, never mind. She won't believe you anyways. In the meantime, in, in all of that, I'm just sitting there praying. I'm saying, God, What is it that you want to say to this young lady? And immediately I see a picture of her doing as a hairdresser. And I looked at her. I don't know her from Adam. And I said, you're a hairdresser, aren't you? And she looks at me and she goes, yeah. And she started having tears in her eyes. She goes, I used to be, but I can't anymore because a couple years ago, someone basically took a beer bottle, hit her in the wrist, and it hindered her mobility, and she could no longer do what she wanted to do. I mean, just with a prophetic word, walls crumbled, and all of a sudden, you can get to the heart that God saw 
And I said, I knew you were a hairdresser because God gave me a picture that you were. And she starts welling up. And her boyfriend goes, I told you. (laughs) I told you it was real. And she let me pray for her for healing. And that was the last that I saw of her. She didn't, I, to my knowledge, she didn't accept Jesus that day. But I know that I know that I know, and she knows that she knows that she knows. She met with the living God that day. What I'm trying to say is that, for me, I don't always put myself out there for evangelism. I should, but I don't always. But when I do, God never fails to show up in some way, shape, or form that touches lives and changes people's minds and their hearts for them. Evangelism is daunting and scary, but it's exciting. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, it changes everything. Everything. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and overflows out of you, that's when we see things happen. And let me tell you, in our witnessing, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Desperately. We need Him. We need the anointing. Because when the Holy Spirit does it, It is so much more effective than what you and I could just do by ourselves. Witnessing comes from empowerment. And I want to say that if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, if you have put your faith and hope in him, he has equipped you with all that you need already. You are equipped. And God is still at work in our lives and in this world. Do we want to be a part of that? Witnessing comes from an encounter, as in we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we invited him into our lives. Witnessing comes with an endorsement that God places himself in the Holy Spirit in us when we give our lives over to him. And witnessing is fueled by empowerment. God anoints us for the work of his services, that he prepared good works in advance for us to do. Can, Ruth, can we get the band back up, please? Is that okay? Thank you. I want to go into worship here. and I, This is how I want to draw to a close, if, if that's okay, Richard. Um, I want to pray for people, actually. Uh, pray for a fresh anointing for you. I mean, one of the words I had for you this morning was I was reminded of Exodus 3 and 4, where God, where Moses has this incredible encounter with God. Um, and God says, you know, I've seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. I want you to go. And when you read it, it's like Moses doesn't, don't want that. Don't want to be a part of that. And it's like reason after reason after reason after reason, he doesn't want to do it. So finally, God says, right, I'm sending you with Aaron to help you. And the word I want to encourage you with is not all of us are called to be a Moses to proclaim to Pharaoh to let my people go. But equally, some of us are called to be like Aaron who serve in the background, 
to support the Moseses. What are you called to do? And I think it's just being faithful with what it is that you have. And so yeah, Kate, and I would, Kate and I and Stu would love to pray for you and pray for an anointing over you that God would release something of his heart and his power in you that is more effective in your proclamation of Jesus. And equally, I want to say, if you don't know this Jesus this morning, you can today. You can know him right now. And he will change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. There is nothing beyond your sight. There is no situation beyond your reach and your power. And, you know, Lord, I want to pray for every person in here. Lord, I pray that you'd soften their hearts. I pray that you would envision them. I pray, God, that you would speak to them. I pray that they would know the wind of your spirit in which it is that you are leading them into. Lord, that they would have faith and trust and dependence from you, that all things flow from you. Lord, whether they are a Moses or an Aaron, you know. You know that. God, I pray that you would pour out your anointing over all of them, that they would know your power and your presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so good, and that through you, Lord, we can meet you day to day. You send your approval, your Holy Spirit into us, you endorse us, Lord, and you empower us to do the works of you. It is in your name, Lord, that I pray. Amen.